What's happening, guys? Welcome back. It's 10 Minutes of Modern coming to you live on a Sunday night. Headed out to AfterBuzz TV right now to talk about The Walking Dead. Just checked out the weekend results from GP Oklahoma City. Didn't have a lot of attention this weekend to pay to the tournament, but of course, I'm looking at the top eight and the top 32. Tomorrow on the station, we will do a full breakdown of the fringe decks and some of the cooler ones to break into the top 32. But right now, I do want to talk about the winning deck and the rest in the top eight. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a, of, of a quick update, if you're hearing this on Monday morning, which I think a lot of you probably will be, this will be the first thing you hear, and you should know, Scapeshift won. Uh, Larry Lee won the tournament. It's a pretty standard Scapeshift deck. It's pretty sweet. It's playing four Tri-Builder, four Primeval Titan. Um, it's got some Sweltering Suns in there, a little bit of interaction, but mostly it's just go over the top, ramp up, play Scape Shift, win the game. That's what the deck looks like it's designed to do, and it looks like it's very effective at it. I do think the Summoner's Packs are interesting. I've seen people play them in the past. Playing two Summoner's Packs to go with only eight green creatures, it's effectively supposed to function as Primeval Titan copies five and six, or I think in the early turns of the game, like if you want a Summoner's Pact on turn three, as a free spell to get you a Tri-Belder, then you play your Tri-Belder to get to the fourth land so you don't lose the game. I suppose I see people doing that, um, maybe if you have a prime time in hand, but I definitely don't know if the Summoner's Pacts are the smartest, but I understand why they're, they're in there. Uh, so that was the deck that won. Other big highlights, you had three Tron decks, as well as another Scapeshift deck in the top eight. The other Scapeshift deck, kind of unimportant. The Tron decks, two black-green Tron variants, I'm sorry, two mono-green Tron variants and a black-green Tron. Um, World Breaker has become pretty much a staple as a one or a two of in these decks. Obviously, green plays Sylvan Scrying and, most importantly, Ancient Stirrings in these decks. The black was actually very interesting as primarily a source to play two copies of Fatal Push and then a suite of, of sideboard hate. So four Collective Brutalities, Thought Seizes in the sideboard. Um, I found that pretty interesting. It's basically just a mono-green Tron deck that's playing a few black lands. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, some, some black interaction cards. It definitely seems like the two Fatal Push in the main and the four Brutalities in the side. You know, Brutality's really good, obviously, against Storm and against other unfair decks. Um, and also, Ravenous Trap was an interesting card showing up in that black-green sideboard. That's one of the traps that uh, it's, I think it's black-black two or black-black four. But if you can cast it for zero if an opponent has had three or more cards placed in their graveyard from anywhere this turn, and it exiles their whole graveyard. So it's a free... The free graveyard exile, which obviously is very good against Storm, um, very good against Dredge. Just a good card. Surprising, actually, that it comes in worth only uh, uh, 70 cents, because I think I would imagine that that card has been picked up more for sideboard hate against the big prominent unfair decks so far, but it has not been. So those were five of the decks. You also had a Dredge deck show up in there. This was pretty much staple. Uh, you had a Haunted Dead in the Dredge deck as a one-of, which is always fun and interesting. Creates a little bit more of an engine there. But Dredge doing Dredge things with Insolent Neonates and Narc Amoebas and, and, you know, the biggest Dredges you can get that are not Drave Trolls. You had a copy of Living End um, playing the Horror of the Broken Lands and all, you know, all of your... It was just a Living End deck. There wasn't anything crazy about it. And finally, the deck that I find the most interesting is Jeskai Breach in the top eight. So what this deck really looks like and feels like to me is it feels like a Jeskai control deck that's playing four copies of Emrakul and four copies of Through the Reach. Reminds me a lot of old Splinter Twin decks, where you're basically playing eight to ten cards that aren't part of the regular game plan, but if you sculpt your hand with enough control and interaction, you'll just win the game. And that's what this deck really does do. 
Um, it's playing two copies Manalik, two copies Remand. It's got Up, it's got Serum Visions, it's got four Snapcaster Mage, you know, it's got Helix and Colonnade. It's got all of the things that a Jeskai deck would play, minus the Spell Quellers and the Geists. It's a straight-up control deck with four copies of Through the Reach and four copies of Emrakul. And if you figure you're cycling through your deck, you're getting enough card selection, counterspells, and interaction to one-for-one one your opponent to go resource trade, resource trade, resource trade, all of a sudden, the last two cards in your hand are through the Breach and Emrakul, and you just win the game. And it's it's totally interesting, because the deck can be played with the, with the combo or totally without the combo. You can side those eight cards out in game two and play, play the whole game like your opponent thinks you're going to resolve it, and you probably skunk them. So... This was a fun top eight. Definitely an interesting reaction to what the format has been. These are very, very, very linear strategies trying to do one thing. The only one that was even kind of non-linear, which is the deck I just mentioned, even has that linear unfair thing built in. So everybody seems to feel the need to go over the top. Anyway, guys, stay tuned for part two of this as we break down the rest of what's going on at GPOKC. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, continuing to talk about Grand Prix Oklahoma City here, part two. I want to continue on this thought that I had just a minute ago about none of the decks being played feeling like they were a, uh, a heavy interaction decks, most of them feeling like they needed to go over the top. And I find that particularly interesting because this is a, this is a classic modern metagame thing where it's like playing burn, playing humans, playing infect, anything that's just like strong and good and straightforward, it's just good enough until it's not. Because most of the decks that we just talked about in that top eight lock you out or close the game down in one turn. So even the most fair decks out of those decks, the Tron decks, they're still resolving Emrakul. Or they're still, you know, they're still resolving a turn three Karn. They're still doing something completely backbreaking that if they do it, you don't really have the ability to recover. Um, now the only deck out of this top eight that was kind of normal was the Jeskai deck. Because, you know, all the rest of them, Scapeship, just winning on the spot. Um, Dredge is, you know, when Dredge works, it's basically winning on the spot. It's flooding the board with, with threats you can't answer. Um, you know, Living End is basically winning on the spot. They all have kind of a haymaker they throw, a really unfair over-the-top thing they do that locks you out. These are not your affinity decks that are flooding the board and just their creature decks that you can, if you pick a couple creatures off, you might be able to recover. They're not Jund and Abzan decks where they're just kind of one for one of your resources. They all have that over-the-top element. So the Jeskai deck, which normally would be exactly what we're talking about, incidentally is playing the over-the-top element and it's four through the breaches and it's four Emrakuls, which means... The community at large obviously looked around and said, I think the best thing for me to be doing is playing something that has the switch that can be flipped to just win the game. Because if I don't, all these other decks that are doing exactly that can close me out in a moment of weakness. One bad draw, one mulligan, you know, one misstep, and you just lose if you're playing a fair deck. So I think that that's fascinating when we've seen so much dominance out of like the humans deck. Um, it is interesting that Storm is not in this top eight because Storm is kind of doing the exact same thing as the rest of these decks. But Storm was kind of public enemy number one. And you definitely see sideboard plans from a lot of these decks and even main deck strategies and some of them to interact with and try to stop Storm from going off. So uh, surprised I didn't see more main deck collector brutalities in the top eight. That seems like a very strong card in this current meta considering what we're looking at. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, this was definitely a cool top eight to look at. Again, I come back to this Jeskai deck, and it's just so interesting. Minus those eight cards, it's just a regular interactive Jeskai deck. But that clearly isn't good enough right now.
So uh, I think that's a cool deck idea. It makes me think how many other unfair two-card combinations exist in modern that we could try jamming into existent fair strategies. How many of them? I don't really know. That's just one that seems easy, that seems to be able to fit in. So uh, check out the rest of the top eight, guys. Thanks for listening. It's 10 Minutes of Modern, just a quick observation. I'll be coming at you guys with more content tomorrow from New York, and then Alex and I will be coming at you with a full podcast this week, probably breaking down OKC, what's going on in the Modern format, and what we can look forward to in 2018, as it is going to be a big year for Modern, and we have a pro tour coming up just around the corner. As always, guys, thanks for listening. It's 10 Minutes of Modern here on Anchor. Favorite the station if you like what you're hearing. Find me on Twitter. Ben Maven Media. And as always, you know, thanks, guys. Thanks for supporting the station. Listen to the podcast. Talk to you guys soon. What's up, guys? Welcome back. It's 10 Minutes of Modern here in Anchor. Chatting with you guys every single day about the best game on Earth, Magic the Gathering, and its best format, the modern format. I'm here. I'm in Jersey. It's Monday night. I'm tired. I'm in a, a, a courtyard by the Marriott. I just uh, had a glass of wine, and I'm getting ready for bedtime. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit about magic. I've been reading a little bit more about GPOKC. Haven't had time as I was flying all day west to east to go through and totally watch every single match. Uh, but I did get to review deck lists 9 through 32 and kind of brush up on a little bit of what else was going on. So on top of the major trend of three Tron decks, two Scape Shift decks, a Living End deck, a Jeskai Breach, and a Dredge deck. We had some pretty fun stuff in the rest of the top 32, so I will kind of run down the line here. The easiest way to put it for you guys is that there were a lot of decks in the top 32 that were recognizable. Nothing jumped out at me in the top 32 that was like a holy shit, what the F kind of deck. I didn't see a, an Enduring Ideal deck. There wasn't, you know, the very first Lantern Control deck ever to place in the top 32 kind of a deal. Pretty much every single deck in the top 32. We didn't even have anything like a Mardu, you know, Jeskai, or, or so like, a, like a Mardu S... Uh, sorry, I'm mixing myself up. Like a Mardu Young Pyromancer deck. We didn't even have anything like that. It was really pretty much chalk. It was Affinity decks and Tron decks and Shadow decks and things like that. So... But what I will say is this, in the top 32 decks at Grand Prix Oklahoma City, which is a, a big tournament, we don't get that many modern Grand Prix anymore, and they're higher payout tournaments that are a little bit more high profile, so you do expect that this represents sort of closer to the pro metagame and probably more of what we'll see at the Pro Tour, there were two copies of Grix's Death Shadow in the top 32. This is surprising for a number of different reasons, which I will touch on in a couple of minutes here. Probably uh, part two of this, I'll talk just about Grix's Shadow specifically. Um, but that was the big thing that jumped out at me, is I, I kind of can't believe that the intrinsic power level of a deck that good is not just showing up in numbers, you know, uh, percolating the top 32, and only as, as a two of, and, and not even in the top eight. Tron is the big story here. As I mentioned, it was one. There was a mirror match in, in Tron. It doesn't seem like red-green Tron is a thing that's happening anymore. It really does seem like mono-green and black-green Tron are the decks that are showing up, with Eldrazi Tron being maybe a third at the moment, though I think the power level of Eldrazi Tron is high enough that I would expect Eldrazi Tron is still probably the best of those three decks. Um, I think we're just we're just seeing a moment right now, but quite a bit of Tron. There was definitely quite a bit of Lantern Control at the top tables. Zach Elsek had a perfect record day one, didn't do as well day two. Sam Black played very well with Lantern Control. Um, it's playing a War of, in War of Invention package now that gets a lot more silver bullets. Um, it's a good deck. It's it's not a good deck in the sense that if it if it's consistently good and showing up at the top tables, it will live. 
that's a deck that will be banned if it's too good for too long. Um, not because it's too powerful, but because it's not the kind of deck that Wizards wants to see on camera at the top tables with any frequency. It's very boring, and if you want to play it out against that deck to make your opponent beat you, you can, and it takes forever. Um, so what ends up happening is a lot of concessions or really, really boring long-winded games. But there's not really any decisive win, usually, in that deck, which is not a great thing for Magic. So those were probably the biggest things that I noticed out of this top 32. There wasn't really anything crazy that jumped out at me. There's a lot of Jeskai decks. I mean, that's that's something we've been talking about here for a few weeks. Um, one of the more interesting things I did notice was that I saw two copies of Mantis Rider show up in one of the top 32 Jeskai control decks, alongside three copies of Geist. A uh, bunch of different variations of Jeskai. Obviously, the one in the top eight that was playing through the breach was interesting. But just there was probably about five or six different Jeskai control decks showing up in the top 32. And all of them playing different suites of creatures. Similar spell, similar spell counts, but um, just different mixes. And, and uh, you know, Mantis Rider is definitely a funny one. Uh, maybe another funny detail just because here on the on the cast we talk about this a lot but Corey burkhart getting 15th with grixis control it's the only grixis control back in the top 32 it's just Corey being a boss um i, I suppose I, I did fail to mention the one interesting deck i got a call on about this ian burrow played a white black smallpox deck that was playing four copies of gideon ally of zendikar four bloodgast four fatal push three smugglers copter and four lingering souls that's a pretty cool deck so that's probably something that'll be on my radar to talk about here in a second stay tuned i'm going to talk about jeskai uh, I'm going to talk about Death Shadow and maybe a little bit more about this deck. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great What's up, guys? Continuing down the path of talking about Grand Prix Oklahoma City results. First major, major modern Grand Prix in a little while. Some interesting stuff. A jam-packed top eight of mostly linear, uh, non-interactive decks. And then a big top 32 of a lot of decks that we have seen. Two things I want to talk about from this top 32. The first one... I just mentioned it briefly on the previous cast, but Ian Barrow played a white-black smallpox deck that got 16th place. Four Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, four Liliana of the Veil. Um, only one Collective Brutality, but it's playing Hand Disruption, Smallpox, four Lingering Souls, three Smuggler's Copter. The, the, the coolest thing about this deck to me, the thing that's the most interesting and why I'd want to bring it up, is that I've been saying Smuggler's Copter and Lingering Souls in Modern is a thing people should be doing. Like, I've just been saying that. That just feels to me like a, a, a four-of, four-of kind of deal. There's a three-of, four-of here mix, but it's so powerful. It's so good um, that it's shocking to me that it hasn't been a thing that is more consistent. It just feels so much like what you want to be doing in Modern. So that's pretty cool. Um, it is playing four copies of Urborg, Tomb of Yagmoth, which is how the deck can get away with playing i guess such a heavy composition of singles and doubles um and its casting costs but i would imagine the reason is because with all of the discard you'll just almost always discard your extra copies of urborg and that will be that so other fun stuff here too like obviously you want to be able to play an urborg on turn one a flagstones on turn two and then you know sacrifice your land to your uh, smallpox and get a land out of it so some fun stuff here. This is a pretty cool deck and seems like a fun one to play. Um, the other thing to talk about, there were two copies of Grixis Death's Shadow in this top eight. Two copies of Storm as well, which is another one of the major decks. So I think that's probably worth mentioning as well. But most interestingly to me is, is the fact that we have what I thought was the best deck in the format. 
Um, you know, Bradley Yu finished in 27th with it, and I want to say like 32nd maybe. Um, yes, Brandon Ayer played in, to a 32nd place finish. And thinking about this format that we just saw play out in Oklahoma City, what it feels like is it's a lot of very linear, non-interactive decks trying to go over the top. And even the ones that are interactive, it's Jeskai basically being interactive. And I look at this composition of spells in this deck, and I'm thinking to myself, six to eight hand disruption spells, counter magic, versatility, velocity, low CMC, difficult to answer threats. Jeskai's a good matchup, but aside from that, this deck feels like it takes out all those linear decks because it gets a big enough threat on the table and it answers all of the cards necessary to close you out with a storm or it just feels like it gets ahead of you it gets ahead of a lantern deck so easily it feels like like why does tron beat grix's death shadow is it because tron goes big gets more mana and has like sweepers set up or it can just top deck and resolve karn and get rid of the death shadow or something i i I find it surprising. It's it's kind of baffling to me that Grixis Death Shadow is just not the best deck in the format. And so so that's just something I wanted to point out here. Um, but then again, on paper, you know, magic is different than it is in person. And Grixis Death Shadow maybe just doesn't have doesn't have what it takes. You know, it's a little too tightly wound. It's it's what it feels like is it's the analog deck in modern to what uh, Rug Delver is, Teamer Delver is in Legacy now, which is hyper-efficient, low, low to the ground, low CMC, tons of interaction, and a few threats. And there are decks that just, if they go around that strategy, they just outsmart you. And it's the same, it's the same deal in, in Legacy. Um, the decks that have enough resources that are resilient enough can get around that. I just find it surprising that looking at the results from this last weekend, it doesn't feel like a format that's dominated by fair decks. Like, Humans feels like it's probably pretty good against Grixis Delver. Um, decks that have a lot of redundancy they can go wide seem like they're probably pretty good against Grixis Delver decks that are playing a limited number of threats don't feel as good I suppose Grixis Delver has a hard time interacting with Tron's biggest threats is probably the, the, the biggest reason that that is not a great matchup but even so it seems like uh, Tron has a better matchup against all of the unfair decks than against the fair decks so Anyway, those are my thoughts, guys. Thanks for listening. It's Monday here on 10 Minutes of Modern. Keep checking back. Alex and I will be back later this week with a full new episode. And as always, guys, favorite the station. If you like what you're hearing, follow me on Twitter at Ben Bateman Media. Let's keep talking magic. Call in with your thoughts. Thanks, guys.